Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. So when we talk about things like spiritual practices and disciplines, with the subtitle, Be Diligent in Your Labor to Enter into Your Rest in Christ, it's the paradox, it's what we've been talking about. We want to discipline our lives to reflect what God has done inside of us. We want to discipline our lives and engage in spiritual practices where we're renewing our minds, where we are putting on our true identity in Christ. We're not trying to become something that we are not because you cannot improve upon your spiritual state. Your state of existence in that heavenly realm, you cannot improve upon. It's a stature before God that you've been given because you've said yes to Jesus. And so what we want to do is recognize that in our minds and in our hearts and live out of that identity because that's the part of you that will live forever. That's the part of you that's alive. This skin right here is dying, but your spirit is alive and your spirit is informing every other aspect of your being. In other words, your behavior in this world is not who you are. It's, has a, it has an effect and it has consequences in this life, but not into the next life. But your next life can affect this life. Are you with me? Like that which is carnal and temporary cannot affect that which is eternal. But that which is eternal is constantly affecting that which is temporary. If we want to live from this state of mind, we are complete. So when we go through these processes of what it looks like to engage in spiritual practices and disciplines, we start from a state of completion. We're renewing our mind and persuading our hearts to believe. Colossians 2.9 says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. You say yes to Jesus, you get all of God. He doesn't have anything else left to give you. So... We're not trying to become something that we are not. We are training our mind, soul, and body to yield to our spiritual identity. You cannot improve on your salvation, but you can experience more of it. You can't get more of the Holy Spirit, but you can experience more of Him. Are you with me? It's like a relationship. It's there. You're married, you're joined, but you might experience more out of that relationship as you give yourself more to it wholly. The last couple of sessions, we talked about prayer and meditation, meditation being focused, intentional thought, and we gave some instruction on that. Today, I want to talk about doing the Word. Say, do the Word. Do the word. That comes out of this, James 1, 22. James, James is, I think, a highly misunderstood book. James and Peter seem to contradict Paul in terms of salvation doctrine. James and Peter seem to tie your works to salvation, where Paul absolutely does not. But if you listen to what they're really saying, Peter and James speak more to the idea of what your faith and your salvation looks like in evidence. In other words, what your faith and your salvation look like on this side of the cross, on this, in this realm. So they're associating, if you say that you're saved, there should be works associated with that. So if you say that you're saved, but you don't have good works associated with that, I say prove to me that you are saved by showing me your works because that's the evidence. Now, they're not saying that you're saved by your works, but they're saying the proof to me is your good works. For me, what I'm looking for is good works in your life because that shows me, oh yeah, there has been a change in your spirit. And the religious world takes that and says, I'm going to judge whether or not you're saved by your works. And there's a difference. Do you see the difference? So you're not saved by your works. Absolutely not. In no way can you be. But there is an expectation of the fruit and the evidence of it. So in the midst of that, James gives us this instruction and he says, be doers of the word. Again, say, do the word. Do the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. It's not associating salvation. And the blessing is not necessarily God saying, you've done an act, now let me give you a blessing as much as it is. If you live this way, it produces blessing into your life. Doing the word, following God, keeping the commandments of Christ, holding to the tenets of God's ways, when you live that way, you experience blessing in this life. It's a sowing and a reaping kind of a thing. How you live your life produces fruit back to you in this life. You sow anger, strife, what do you get back? You get that same thing back to you. It's just the way that the world is set up. It's the, the you know, and the quantum level we understand now, the world is serving back to us even on an energetic level that which we are sowing into it. So, when Paul preaches grace, you know, salvation by grace through faith alone, and they say, well, are you saying that we can just continue in sin? He's like, no, well, what are you talking about? Because you're going to reap what you sow. There's, the world is still set up to sow back to you, but it's not God judging you and executing the punishment associated with the judgment. If he were to judge you, guess what? You're a little smoldering spot on the ground right there. But thankfully, Jesus paid for that. Jesus bore the full penalty of the curse and the breaking of the law on your behalf so that we can recognize who we are in spirit and then live out of that and show the world what God can do in a person's life. I appreciate the testimony that Tony shared because there are people maybe even that catch this that are in prison or maybe they've just gotten released from prison or maybe you're on your way to prison. There's a, you know, there's a lot of people right now, the court systems are so backed up they're waiting on their court cases, and they pretty much know they're going to jail. And they're sitting there. If you're watching that, hang on. Take, test, take Tony's word as an encouragement. God is with you. No matter how badly you've messed up, no matter how badly you've messed up, God is with you. Peter, one of Jesus' closest, denied him three times. And what did Jesus do? Went and found him as soon as he came up out of that grave. Well, maybe the next day, you know, but still, pretty soon. He's not going to give up on you. He's right there with you. I don't care what you've done. Now, don't continue in sin. It can destroy your life. But, but, but that's a different issue. Those aren't related to matters of salvation and the, and the ministry that we have toward other people. So be doers of the word, which logically you have to know the word to do the word, which means read your Bible. Please say, I will read my Bible. Hold your hand up. I will read my Bible. I don't believe some of you. <laughs> Why? So that you'll know the Word, so that you can do the Word. So it's like you have to know it so that your heart and your mind are in agreement with it when the Holy Spirit inspires it within you. A lot of us are trying to get direction from God. We're trying to get understanding from God. And what he's going to do is he's going to highlight the word in your heart. He's going to make it alive within you. He will testify of Christ in you and he will bring alive the word of God in you. And that will be your choices. That will be the wisdom that informs you. His word is the lamp that will illuminate your path. You're standing there and you're going, God, what do you want me to do? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do in this? If you have the word in there, that's what he will use to lead you and guide you. A lot of people, you know, we, we lean charismatic because we believe in the gifts and we believe that God is active in our lives and that God is speaking to us. But sometimes the charismatic world is too charismatic and the word is just something that you study and read, but the really good stuff is when God talks to you. And it's like, I don't trust myself to just hear God's voice. I'm not that spiritual. But what I want is Him to affirm the Word in me. But I want that Word to leap out and be like, oh, as if He is speaking directly to me, because He is. 
in that moment. Now, can he speak to you independent from chapter and verse? Absolutely. But it will always attest and affirm to what is written. Always, always, always. There will never be a time that God speaks to you that's contrary to what is already written. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to memorize the entire Bible. That doesn't mean that you need to know the book, chapter, and verse when God highlights a concept to you. But it does mean that you need it in there so that it will bear witness with you and you'll know which way to go. You'll have either a proverb in your heart and your mind that's a principle of how to handle your money, how to handle your finances, how to work for your boss, what to do with your children. Get God's mind on these things, right? So that as he highlights to you, you follow him. So put the word in there. I don't care if you're reading it in a paperback, hardcover, digital, listening to it. I, I don't care how you get it in there, but get it in there. Amen? And I'm telling you, just commit to it. Just read the Bible. Read it. Get it in there. And as you read it, make an emotional connection with it and put it in there. Because the world needs to know what's happening. The world needs to see what it looks like. So why... Be doers of the word because the world is looking for truth and we need to be examples of faith and righteousness. The world is looking for truth. I think this. I think the world, especially our nation, is on the brink of a, another great awakening. And we can show them the way by learning the word and doing the word. So, let me... Um, we're going to end up on this idea of living the simple gospel, but... So that, that's kind of the, the foundation that I want to go in, but, I can, but I'm going to launch into something else that I'm not that well studied on, uh, the, the idea of great awakenings in, in our past, especially, especially related to our history. You know, I have conversations with Mike Crane. I don't, Mike may or may, may not be watching. I know they've had COVID, which I think their entire family's out of the woods now. I think everybody's out of the, I don't know if everybody's out of the hospital, but they're all moving in the right direction and life is prevailing. So praise God for that. We pray for your family and all those out there that have loved ones that are sick. I heard of somebody else this morning has, uh, somebody said the name that not, well, shall not be mentioned <laughs> related to a specific virus. Um, but anyway, that aside, I look at the condition of the world and I, I personally am not giving up. I am not looking at the world and our future with an eschatological or end time filter that gives up on the world. When I look at the world and I think of our future, whatever the future looks like between now and the resurrection, the restoration of all things is the ultimate thing that God is working us toward. Uh, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to veil what I believe. I'm not trying to hide any kind of beliefs or anything like that about end times. I just look at passages that have to do with the kingdom increasing, and that's where I'm putting my focus. Now, I think the other things that may or may not happen along the way or happen but they're different than what we might be expecting or the dispensational expression of what we've been taught. Some of you are familiar with that. Some of you are not. I'm not really interested in going into all that. My expectation is the kingdom to increase because Jesus is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He wins. He's already won. And what he's doing right now, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is he with the Holy Spirit is moving about in this earth destroying the enemies of God. And he's doing that through his church. God is seeking to move through you to take ground for the kingdom. Jesus talks about the end times and he talks about the parable of the wheat and the tares. He's talking to, to his disciples and he gives the parable that, is, that the, the, the workers in the farmer's field come back to the owner of the land and he says, there's weeds out here. Didn't you sow good seed? What's going on? I don't understand why there's bad things happening in the world right now. I don't know why there's weeds in the soil that you planted good seed in. Is your seed not good? Well, okay, your seed's good, but let's go tear up all the evil. Let's tear up all the weeds. No, don't do that either. Don't go attack the weeds because you'll destroy the wheat as well. And, then he, and Jesus associates that with end time. And he says, God will remove the weeds. 
How is he doing that? Through, amen. He's doing it through the church. Listen, I'm telling you, don't hide and wait for the rapture. Don't give up on the church taking ground for the kingdom. The church need, the world needs to see a bold church communicating the gospel all the way till the end because the kingdom is increasing. It just is. So the, the, the subject that I wanted to kind of wrap up on is just this, and, and I'm, I'm looking into it more. I feel like it's kind of a, a it's an arc that our church will stay in for a little while, not from a political perspective, because there is a lot of politics involved with the Great Awakening and the foundation of our nation, but not really if you look at it from the spiritual perspective. So let me just tell you just where my thoughts are, how that relates to doing the Word and our job as the church. This, this body with the collective body. You know, some people view church as, let's just the huddled masses of Christianity while the world kills itself. And let's hide and pat ourselves on the back because we're saved, but all those dirty sinners out there, I hope they make it. I'm just how a lot of Christians think. They've just given up. They look at what's going on in politics and they watch the news and they, they, they look at the general condition of the world, usually the older ones looking at the younger ones thinking, it wasn't that bad in my time. This the end times, it's too dark, it's too late for them. It's not too late. It is not too late, it is not too dark, it is not so perverted. And you want to you know what perversion looks like? Go back to Corinth. Temple prostitutes. Genitalia marked in the street of which was your preference to follow the road to whichever gender you wanted to go to. At least they believed in two genders back then, you know. <laughs> It's not, it's not that bad compared to how it has been in certain societies. I mean, it's bad, but it's not too late bad. So, all right, so here. I'm reading a book called If You Can Keep It by um, Eric Metaxas. Anybody heard of Eric Metaxas? A lot of political commentary. I think he's an orthodox guy, uh, but he's, you know presents a lot of his stuff with a lot of levity. He's funny. Um, but he's serious. He's a, he wrote a book about Bonhoeffer, which is amazing. Um, but he presents these ideas, and I knew some of these ideas, but I like the way he framed it. So in this book, he talks about George Whitfield. Anybody familiar with George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards? And, and I am not a student of history in this area, so I, this is not a presentation from a historical perspective. So if I get some of the details wrong, forgive me. But there's, a, there's an idea in this, which I want to focus on for the point of where we're going. Because we want to live disciplined lives engaged in spiritual practice, practices to renew our minds of who we are in Christ, to represent the true nature of God to the world. Because they don't know that God is good because of how the church has represented God to them for the last 2,000 years. They believe that God is judgmental and condemning because Christians are judgmental and condemning. I might poke fun of some of the gender and sexual preference stuff and all that because, you know, that's just how I grew up. As offensive as that might be, I don't, I'm not really going to make apologies for that. But I'm not scared of it and I'm not going to them and saying it's too late. It's too late for you. I mean, we all believe that God can save murderers on death row. Can't you believe somebody that's been traumatized in their past and confused about their gender, that it's not too late for them as well? No matter how pompous they are in their social media attacking people of faith. Right? That's a little, that's a little judgmental. But I'll own it. I just want, I want to get real about this, right? Because the, 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 we need to be going to the world with an open hand, nervous maybe about the behaviors that we are to show love to, but our model is Christ. Our model is Christ who looked at people who were living contrary to the law 
and he forgave them. He didn't condemn them. He showed them love. He did say, don't continue in, their, in your sin because it's going to be worse for you. But he showed them who God is. That's where the church needs to be. So you go back to the Great Awakening in, with George Whitfield, early 1700s. Um, he and Jonathan, he, he, so he was born in England, uh, made a few, several different trips back and forth, came here, got connected with the Wesley brothers. Wesley started the Methodist church. Uh, he was also connected with Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards preached the very famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And that's the idea that the, God, that the world has about who God is because of how the church has represented God. God is angry and he's just waiting to judge you. Well, what we need to tell them is God is not angry and he's already judged Jesus in your behalf. And then the religious say, well, are you saying that they can just continue in their sin? It's like, no, dummy, wake up. That's not what we're saying. I get a little heated about it because people come and think that that's what you're saying. I'm like, have you never read the book of Romans? Have you never read Galatians? Come on. So George Whitfield, it is said of him that... So back then there was only 13 colonies, you know, so we're not talking the entire nation. We're talking about colonial America at the time, pre-independence. You know, we declared independence July 4th, 1776. The declaration of, I mean, the uh, Constitution wasn't finished until 1783. The idea of if you can keep it came from Benjamin Franklin, who was, I think, 81 at the time. He came out of... I think Independence Hall, and there was a woman out there on the street that said, well, what kind of government have you given us? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. And if you can keep it has deep history of what he meant by that. And it was related back to George Whitfield and the early guys that, that brought about the Great Awakening in the church, in, in the nation at the time. So why was it called a Great Awakening? What are the details? What is important about that? So George Whitfield, in his early Christianity, in his early ministry, was very legalistic. He only wanted to get joy out of prayer and preaching. So he, you know, he didn't want anything in this life that was like glorifying of himself and kind of want to, you know, kind of like, it kind of reminded me of those guys that whip themselves because they think they need to, to debase themselves to feel more holy, you know. And so he wouldn't clean his shoes. He didn't bathe. He looked all scruffy. He, in fact, at one point, uh, it said that he um, quit laughing. He gave up laughter because he only wanted joy from his prayer life. Now, I appreciate his heart, but man, how legalistic can you get? And so he was seeking. He was just seeking to be holy because he loved God so much and he wanted people to know God's transformative power in salvation. You know, his heart was in the right direction, but he was misinformed. So, and, and these details, I may get a little bit off, but it said that, he, he was out and he, he'd read about Jesus praying all night, so he wanted to go pray all night and it rained and he just was defeated. He'd been laying on his face on the ground in the rain and he's making his way back home. And the way that Metaxas frames this particular story about him is he's in this area of town. Now, he preached outside to... It's said that by, by the time he died in 1770 that 80% of the population of the colonial states would have heard him preach. 80%. That's a lot of people. He worked himself to death, basically. He died at about 53 years old, I think it is. Um, but there was a turning point in his ministry that launched him into preaching the gospel. And the turning point was he was on the street and a woman came to him who was drenched, soaking wet, and she had just jumped in the river to try to commit suicide because her life was so just hopeless at the time. And she found she was looking for George Whitfield because she'd heard about him and she felt like if she could get him to pray for her, then she could know God, she could be born again, and then she, her life might change. So by you know happenstance, they meet on the street and she tells the story and he's not in a position to preach. So the only thing he can muster up is John 3:16. For God so loved the world, whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, have everlasting life. I should probably be able to quote that better, but I'm in a hurry. 
and she got saved and it radically transformed her life from then forward. And he had an epiphany. He's like, it's the gospel. It's the simplicity of the gospel that makes the difference in people's lives. It's the simplicity of the power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power. And then the Holy Spirit works with us confirming the gospel. In some circles, we think revival is going to come when everybody starts displaying supernatural feats of power. Now, that's, that comes along as a confirmation of the gospel. And so this is what really impacted me. And I've been talking to Mike about these kinds of things. And I want to shoot some videos because he's very well versed in the origin of the nation. And he's called into that realm, I think as a prophet, into that realm to hold office, to call people back to the gospel in those, in those, in those positions of government. But it's said that the preaching of those guys as they traveled the nation, as they traveled the 13 colonies back then and preached to so many people, specifically George Whitfield, that they were preaching, you must be born again. And as you are born again, there's a repentant lifestyle with it. In other words, turning your heart toward God for the expectation of being a people that can live with personal responsibility to this new birth. In other words, a mindset was created throughout the nation of people that looked to God for their salvation. And the way that they preached, the righteousness that they preached, brought people to the conclusion, I need to depend on God to make me, to build character within me and make me into the kind of person that can live in this righteousness that's been given to me. And it's said that by the time it was time to create the founding documents of our nation, that the mindset was ready for a people to govern themselves. The idea of self-governance is a spiritual reality. It is a grace idea. It is you have personal responsibility over yourself and your life and your faith and your obedience to God. Nobody else can do it for you. That spiritual idea was the underpinning of our founding documents. And that's only a Christian perspective. It just is. So I'm not trying to make a political statement. My point is this. There was a mindset amongst the people where they were prepared to be ready to receive a new type of government that depended on them governing themselves, not depending on a sovereign, not depending on a structure that met their needs, them taking responsibility over their own lives and the government was only protect to protect God-given rights. So be free. That was the idea. We are a free people. We are to self-govern. We are going to have some people that, you know, create a, a fair and just society. Not, not create a fair and just society, but protect and facilitate a fair and just society as the people were ready to be governing themselves. That's the idea that I'm thinking about. I, I think there's more that's going to come out of that. So we engage in spiritual practices and disciplines so that we ourselves can be led by God and we can live well within this freedom, not because of a political perspective. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to say so that we can all become Republicans and save the nation. That's, I'm not saying that at all. It's almost like we need a new party, really. You know, we, need, we, like, we like need a new party to come in and just kick all those knuckleheads out, except for a few of them, and just start over from a mindset of self-governance and independence. So, so, here, so then you talk about where our nation is right now, and you have a mindset that, that, that understands that and values everything that I just kind of went through, values, independence, freedom, self-governance, faith in God, keep the government out of my life, I'll take care of myself unless I need help or we, need to, you know, we do need to take care of certain things. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make a political statement. But what the young people hear is, oh, you mean we need to go back to that time when racists ran the country? That's what they hear. That's what the young people are hearing. And that's the narrative that is being presented by the news. That our nation was founded by racists on principles that were to keep minorities down. In our case, 
African, you know, first Native Americans and then African Africans. Um, so I'm thinking about, okay, what needs to happen in our personal lives, in our families, in our communities, our nation, and the world is people need to look toward God for that born-again experience and assume upon themselves the responsibility of self-governance to follow God as we collectively follow God together and we preach the gospel and we value righteousness. So in these ideas, you hear people commenting on the state of the nation at the time, taught people like to Tocqueville and all these other people that were like, you know, the, the reason America is ready to be able to do this is because it's a virtuous people and their virtue mainly is faith. And as long as they're a virtuous people, they will be able to self-govern. But as soon as they become a corrupt people or the government becomes a corrupt people and undermines that and then people are made to vote in for themselves people that will give them things that they want, then you have the problems that you have. And so then people that value faith and self-governance look at the system and say, well, we need to go back to a time when we were more godly and more independent and more free and valued freedom. And again, the young people here, oh, you mean back when the racists ran the country. No, I don't think we want that. I think we want to go forward into something else. We want to be more inclusive. We want to be more welcoming. We want to be, uh, you know, where everybody, love is love. And it's like, and then the old, the old mindset, I say old mindset, the, the former mindset looks at that and is scared to death. Looks at a 16-year-old that's sitting there going, well, you know, I do believe that gender is a construct, and I, I really do believe that the government should be giving everybody money on a regular basis. And I, and I really do believe that the government is the answer and needs to mandate things so that it makes it fair for us. And it's because we are not governing ourselves through the virtue of faith toward Christ. It, it just is that. Now, I realize this starts to sound like a political commentary, but, but, but it's really not. It's spiritual. I'm just using the illustration of the foundation of our nation that a people with a particular mindset can do amazing things. So where does that leave us? I think it leaves us as the body of Christ left with the task of creating a mindset that those early guys did that, you know, that initiated the Great Awakening, and that is the gospel. It's the simplicity of the gospel and what it can do in your life and your responsibility to not just joy in your salvation, but also realize that we have a mandate from God to carry this good news into the world. And if you're not personally experiencing that good news, you're not going to carry it out there. So I want you to live in a way that creates a lifestyle of blessing in your life where you're not shooting yourself in the foot through doubt, fear, and sin, and negativism, but you're living a lifestyle where your faith brings you joy. Your faith is, 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 is not something to be held onto in the midst of darkness because your life is so bad. Are you with me? Now, I know I probably, I don't normally preach on these kinds of things. And I know I'm stepping on some toes, probably young people. But I mean, I just, I just see this idea that we, that the, 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 the role of the church is to not point and condemn and judge, but to tell the truth about who God really is. And once people are willing to believe the truth about who God is, they will take upon themselves the responsibility to follow and obey Him. It's not our job to teach people how to obey God. The Holy Spirit does that. You tell, are you kidding me? You think you can tell somebody how to obey God? Let's look at your life. I mean, that's basically what Jesus said about the woman caught in adultery, right? Are you with me? Is this making sense? So it's open-ended, really. It's more of like, listen, we're all in this together. And, and the whole body of Christ all over the entire planet, and it's different in different areas, I get that. But we, ha we have a responsibility to represent who God really is. You know, I do not want the extent of your faith to be coming and hearing an excellent message in church. <laughs> I, I don't... I, 
I want your faith to be more than just religious exercises. I, I want your faith to be something that shows people how kind and gracious and forgiving and loving God is. And then if they can open their hearts to that God, that His grace will then not leave them stuck in their darkness. And, and you can't do that part for them. You just have to trust that the Holy Spirit will do that for them. It's not compromising. It's not watering down the Word. It's believing and trusting that the gospel is the power. You want to be powerful? Preach the gospel. And just to wrap up, I lost my... Did we lose? Did something happen back there? Can you go to the next slide, whatever I was on? Actually, go, go back a couple. Sorry. So, yeah, this here, the world is on the brink of a great awakening, and we can show them the way. Learn the word, do the word. Now, uh, I, I, one of the ministers that I pay attention to and follow is Andrew Womack. Anybody know Andrew Womack? Yeah. He tells a story recently. He was at a meeting, and I can't remember all the details exactly, but he felt like God spoke to him. We are in another great awakening. And he said it shook him because he's, he's done a lot of political shows and talked about, and, and, you know, and it started to kind of become, this, this is my perspective. It started to kind of focus on the negatives. Now, I'm not saying they did anything wrong. I'm just saying a lot of the, the shows that they were talking about focused on the political thing, and, and it was like almost at a dead end. But then, this, but then this, I, this prophecy that he feels like he got from God that we're in a new great awakening, it shook him. And so it's being touched by, you know, it's touching his ministry. And that ministry is probably one of the greatest ministries on the planet that's just preaching the gospel, which incidentally, uh, I met... Well, I was doing a meeting down in Florida and met Greg Moore. Anybody know who Greg Moore is if you follow his, their ministry? Uh, he's kind of the right-hand man out there. He's a, you know, one of the main teachers out there. He really valued what I was speak, preaching down in Florida and arranged it for me to go out to Karis in Colorado to teach a, basically a, a course out there. So in September... Uh, Sarah and I are going to go to Karis in Colorado, and I will be doing like a four-hour course uh, for their third-year students. And it sounds like they're talking about maybe maybe more. I don't. Know. We'll see how it goes, but uh, you know that's that's awesome. I'm I'm excited about that. And then we turn around and go right back out there again for the ministers' conference. So, but I love what they're doing, and and I want to I want to continue along that path of preaching the gospel, showing the world what the gospel. So go to the next one. The world needs to know they can be born again. That's a throwback back to George Whitfield and those original guys that brought about the first great awakening. They just preached that you need, you must be born again. You must repent to be born again. And from there forward, you live in this righteousness that God has given you. And that mindset of righteousness that they created in the entire nation prepared a people to be able to lit, receive a government structure where they govern themselves. That's what we want. We want people to depend on them, not depend, you know what I mean, not depend on themselves, but depend on God in them and not an external structure. So the next one, please. By living the simple gospel, do the word. Next one, please. So I wanted to end on this, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Do you believe? For the Jew first, also to, for the Greek which is basically everybody in that worldview at the time. For it is the righteousness of God, is for, the, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, not works to faith, not faith to works, but faith to faith. Righteousness is by faith. You are right with God because you believe in what Jesus did for you. Then from there you do the word to reflect outwardly Remember what I'm saying, I believe? Well, let me show you that it's real in my life because it's affecting my life. Uh, the just shall live by faith. Is there any more after that? So it's not too late. I mean, I just don't see it as too late. 
You know, I, I listen to certain political perspectives, certain conservative perspectives, even certain liberal perspectives. I try to listen to it all, not often. <laughs> but in general, it's mostly the Christian world that's so negative, giving up, thinking it's too late. It's not too, say it's not too late. It's not too late. Are you with me? I mean, is this striking a chord with you? Because I feel like it's, it's kind of a, uh, maybe the old schoolers would say a burden. I just feel this thing within me. It's like, okay, we have a chance here. We have a chance to actually make a difference. And it's, yes, voting and putting certain people in offices is part of it, but it's a, that, that is a very small part of it. We don't want that working against us, but that's, that's the, about the best I can see of an outcome for that. Put a structure, get people in government that at least won't work against us. But that's about all I expect. Are you with me? I don't expect anything to come out of that system but vote, right? So what does that look like for you? I mean, you're sitting there, you got your life, you got your responsibilities, you got your health, you have your energy level, you have what's going on in your family, you get all the stuff that's going on in your life and all the effort that you're putting toward maintaining all those responsibilities, how about your responsibility to represent Christ to the world? And I'm not saying you got to quit your job and jump into the ministry and start a ministry and leave everything and travel around the world. I'm not even remotely saying that. I'm just saying priority-wise, how are you structuring your life to reflect Christ? Because it's not necessarily going to be the street preachers and the evangelists that create a revival. And I'm not talking about revival from the perspective of God picking a sovereign, sovereignly picking a city and a person and then pouring something out and doing something specifically like that because I don't believe that's how revival happens. I know that there's a history of what we would call revival and it looks like God picks an area and picks a person and then does an amazing thing, but I bet if you were to track that back, it's a group of people that were seeking to display, to represent God, and, and it facilitated through where those people were. Not God going, hey, you, I think it's time for a revival over here, and let's tell all the rest of the world to come get some over here. I don't buy that baloney for a second. I think what we need is an awakening amongst the church, which will then bring about a revival, but a revival in the perspective of believers experiencing the power of God in their personal lives. And when I say power of God, I mean you're less depressed, you're less broke, you're less sick, you're less confused, and you're less worried. How many want that? That is what's going to show the world, well, why are you so positive all the time? I don't know if I believe in that six-day literal creation and all those animals on that boat thing. We can get to that later, but, boy, you really seem to not be bothered by this. Like, you know, like the, the Let Us Worship seminar or the worship conferences or concerts. And, and literal Satanists or other crowds. You know, I saw one video where the people that were trying to shut down the worship event were prep pepper spraying. These, these just people that look like y'all, you're just out there setting up speakers, you know, getting ready to run some chords so that you can sing and worship and glorify God. And you, next thing you blast a pepper spray in your face, you know, just, just normal looking people out there. They were, these people weren't out there equipped to combat against protests. There are some people that are pushing back against that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about us being ready for combat. I'm talking about you and your personal life. What does it look like for you to, for your life to be ready to represent God? And I, and I get that this kind of sounds like a, kind of, kind of can sound like a typical message of putting it on you to go out there and save the world. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want it to be that. I want to create a sense of hope. We can make a difference. One life at a time. One life at a time. You know? And if, you, and if you don't know what that looks like for you, bring people here. I'm telling you, the statistics show that if you invite somebody to church, they will come. Now, how did you respond to that? No, they won't. 
half of y'all in this room were like, I don't think so. I don't think I'm, I, I could feel it. Statistics show when you invite people to church, they will come. That was better. I'm not just trying to grow this church, but I know what they're going to hear when they come here. It's not too late. Let's not give up. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Don't be ashamed of it. Talk about Jesus to people. People, we think in this country that everybody's heard the gospel. I am proof. I didn't get saved until late in, in my senior year in high school, and I didn't, I didn't even know any Christians. I didn't go to church, wasn't raised in church. Nobody ever told me the gospel. I'd been to a Methodist church a dozen times maybe throughout those years to like Sunday school, I mean um, Easter, Christmas, stuff like that, but I'd never heard. I'd never heard the gospel. People in my own family after I got saved wrote a book. They read the book where I presented the gospel probably in his 20s at the time. He said, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd never really understood what Jesus did on the cross. We think people know. They don't know. People don't know. They know they might, most Americans might be able to say, well, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but they don't really know what that means. Explaining to them the exchange, the, the fact that he took their punishment so that God is not mad at them. God is not holding their sin against them. God actually wants to help you. He's not that judgmental, you know, Christian conservative Republican that seems like they're mad at the world because there's gay people out here or something like that. You know, it's like, that's what people think of who God is because of how Christians are. I feel like I'm going into like sermon number two, but I, I'll, so I'll wrap it up. Are you with me? It's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. You have the Holy Spirit of God living within you that will lead you into these situations. Don't be ashamed. Open your mouth and trust that he'll... I mean, you know, <coughs> try this. The next seven days as you wake up, wake up, turn your attention toward God and ask him, put me in a situation, lead me in a situation today. Now, I'm not saying that God's just going to magically make your life arranged so that you get these. You actually have to get out there and do some stuff and follow him and be willing to open your mouth. Put yourself in a situation where you can talk to somebody, ask somebody a question. What do you think about this? They're hard conversations to have. I get it. It's a pain in the booty sometimes to have those conversations. We don't want to do it. We don't, have to, we don't want to have to defend our faith. We don't want to have to hear the disagreements. We'd rather say, well, I'm saved. I don't know about you. Hope you make it. I don't, I don't, I don't, the, the, we, they, the, <laughs> we can do better than that. Or we can just continue to be selfish, working on our own lives, not wanting to offend people, trying to struggle with our own faith. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for the world. I don't, I, I'm, I, I'm tired of the church being looked at as if it's fading away. I mean, that's what most of the world looks at the church and Christianity and says, well, you know, a few more years now, that old really archaic religion, it'll be gone. It'll be gone. Science will show us, continue to give us more and more answers. And by the way, there's aliens. You know, those Christians can't handle the aliens thing, which is a demonic deception, by the way. I'm going to do some messages on that soon. Um, but that, that's how the world's looking at the church. Uh, you know, it's the Christianity, it's, it's going to die like every other religion. They can't have their, they don't, you know, they can't give us real answers. They don't, they're, they're, they're judgmental, and that section is going to fade away. That's, that's how it's viewed. But it's not too late. It's just not too late. Amen? Let's stand up and just put our attention on him. Father, we thank you for salvation in Christ. We thank you for creating a, a place for us so that where you are, we can be with you. And that place is true. That heavenly realm is everlasting while this one is temporary. That is the place that governs our virtues, our values, our choices. And so we want to be influenced by your spirit into this world. And we don't want to limit the message of heaven into this world. 
I just make this decision. If you're making this decision, after I say it, raise your hand. I am not going to limit the voice of God through my life. If that's your decision, just lift up your hand. I will not limit the voice of God through my life. Even when I'm afraid or I don't want to put forth the effort or I don't know what to say, I'm going to still open my heart and be willing to have that tough conversation to represent the true character and nature of God. Now what you'll find is it'll drive you to study because you'll answer somebody and you'll say, gosh, I don't feel like I know what I'm talking about. And then you'll go back and you'll study and you'll learn a little bit more and you might get an opportunity to go back to that person again and say, well, you know, I said this, but this is a little bit more of what I want to say and what I mean. And then again, you might get another opportunity to not go back to that person or somebody else in the last conversation prepared you for the, are you with me? Yeah. Like, like there's work to do. There's growth. There's understanding from a place of completion, complete in Christ, but growing in your knowledge of the Bible, growing in your knowledge of the mechanics of faith so that you can witness to people, so that you can show God how good, people how good God is and do the word. Amen? Father, we give you our lives. We give you our hearts. You know, if you're out there today in this, in this building or watching online, you've never said yes to Jesus, just be willing to turn your heart toward Him. I don't think there's a magic prayer, but there is a willing heart. Be willing to turn your heart toward Him and believe that what Jesus did was for you. If you're watching online today and you want to make that decision, go to our website, forward.church. There's an icon on there. Click on Who is Jesus and read about that and let us know. If you're in this room today and you want to make a decision for the first time to receive Christ, we'll have some people up here. In fact, if the prayer team would go ahead and come on up, come up and speak to one of these guys and they'll walk you through and we have a gift for you. Father, we thank you. We want to be a people that can live within what you're trying to do in this earth and not separate ourselves and give up through hopelessness. We want to have great hope in your kingdom increasing. In spite of what happens in the world, we can take ground for your kingdom. We trust you and we love you. Father, I thank you that you desire to be a blessing in every person's life in this place and watching and listening online. Lord, I speak directly to our finances that blessing arises. Father, I thank you that you're elevating our mindsets and we are expecting to experience extravagant blessing from you. And it is teaching us to be generous. Father, we commit to be generous. We commit to not be stingy, to not be fearful, and we commit to be generous and liberal in our giving, to spread the gospel, but also to teach our hearts how to trust you. You are our provision, and we trust you in your mighty name, Jesus' name, amen and amen.